Today I welcome Linda Cruz, founder and CEO of Race for Good. In this episode, I discuss how Race for Good is connecting students with remote communities all around the world to solve actual real-world problems, to ensure planet accountability, and also to switch this focus from charitable to capable. Linda, you founded Race for Good, and I'd like you just to tell my listeners, you know, what is Race for Good and why did you set it up? Basically, when I started my humanitarian work, being a mature woman and having had two major jobs, being you know in the medical world for 10 years, the business world for seven years, you know, I wanted to enter this world of uplift, global uplift, but I, I really wanted it to be something where I mean, I am an entrepreneur. I am looking for a gap in the market. You know, there's two sectors of society that really control everything we do in this way, and that's government and charities. And God bless them, they do very well. But as I look around the world, I'm like, you know, how can I be of service and add value to this? And there's two sectors of society that are not being really properly invited to be part of the solution of our global issues. And that was the private sector and students. And then I thought to myself, okay, that's great. But how, you know, look at these people, look at your target audience. Okay, they're exceptionally busy. (laughs) They are distracted by a million different things. And how are you going to create something that enables them to really bring the best of themselves to the table? So, you know, my big thing was what is missing is the best and brightest brains. Okay. And these are the ones literally coming out of education where everything is possible and they're not limited by all the filters we get as we are older. That's not possible. That will never work. They have absolute hope. They have it's their future. And then the business brain where it was very much, which I adore, by the way, because they will never start anything if they think they're going to fail. So they'll do their research. They'll do everything that they need to do. They'll do their timelines and deliverables and outcomes. And to attract those two sectors of society, I had to create the race for good, which is where I can put a critical, real, and remember that word, real issue in front of them, where it's a short timeline. So they're involved with me for six weeks or eight weeks, where it's fun, where it's fast paced. It's absolutely action driven, where it's a competition where there's a prize. So all of these things are what would attract a very busy person also where they absolutely knew that if they gave of their most precious thing, which is their time, there's going to be a deliverable. There'll be an outcome. There will actually be change in the world. They will leave a legacy. So that is why I created Race for Good, right? So I created it and I can tell you more about how it works. But I feel that is so important because I had to create a platform where they would easily sign up and engage. And I've been doing this since 2004. I want to find out how does Race for Good engage school children in solving those real world social problems? Because there's lots of things that happen in schools and they maybe pick one of the climate change goals and they go, well, let's create some projects. And it's brilliant and it's meaningful, but it's still very detached from the real world problem. You've gone one step further. Yes. And this is what I must admit, it was educators that kept approaching me as well and saying, when we try and teach different aspects of what the students want to learn about, 
it's in a hypothetical way. A what if this happened? How do we, how could we solve it? If we had this amount of money, if we had a community. And what I provide for the students and teachers globally is real people, real problems with real impact. So I make it really up close and personal. They get to eyeball the people that they are helping. They get to talk to them, of course, because of our great you know, technology online, but they talk to them regularly. They really wear the shoes of that community. They get to know Aisha, who's eight, and, and mother Natasha, who's 24, and the father who sadly died in the landslide. And they really get to go inside their house with all the videos we take, but it's all real. And can you imagine, though, you know, if you are actually given accountability and responsibility for that family, that drives you to be the best you can be, to do that extra bit of research, to ask everyone in your network, your mother, your father, your teachers, business people in your local community, what else can we research and find out about them? So I make it very personal because it should be, it must be, it is. And this is what I know excites both teachers and students to engage. What has been your favourite outcome from Race for Good? I love quirky and I love simple and I love cheap. But a big thing as well is it's never, ever, ever about money, zero about money. And I suppose that's why when I see governments and charities throwing millions or billions at something, I always want to say, stop a minute, just step back take some time to really get to know the community. So there was a lovely challenge and it was in the Himalayas and it was a community that had been completely destroyed after their massive earthquake. And it was a global challenge. So students from all over the world took part. You know, we made it very personal, but it was a community cooperative we needed to start. Of course, the students are told, make sure you look at market access and where are they going to sell anything? Because it's all about economic uplift. My big mantra is a hand up, not a handout. If I'm successful and the students race for good are successful, we are made redundant. They never need us again, ever. We're not there to stay there for 50 years and correct every or guide or tell or impose, never. So if you imagine a very remote community, the nearest market is a four hour walk away. Kathmandu is at least two days in a Jeep. So you're very remote, but they lost everything. And this is a community that lives, you know, on $2 a day, no electricity, no bed, no real dwelling, but they like where they live, but they needed a way to earn money. The students are always encouraged right at the start before they really do their research is to look at the basics of the community. What brings them joy? What do they love? What's the most important thing to them? anything else. And what I notice as I travel the world, religion is very important, right? It is their cornerstone. And in this community, there were mostly Hindus. Okay. Now, every single day, however poor you are, their religious practice to give them that joy every single day is to put a, a marigold flower at the foot of Ganesh. Ganesh is the elephant god in Hindu tradition. And one of the students in the winning team happened to ask one of the local elders, where do you get your marigolds from? The elder replied, 
well, for hundreds of years, we import them from India. And the student went, why don't you grow them in your village? And it was like this whole easy conversation where the elder said, just because we've always done that. And then the elder went away and did his research about the possibility of growth there. So did the student. 50 pence for a packet of marigold seeds. It's now a cooperative. The women started it. And now village upon village upon village across this remote Himalayan area, they grow marigolds and they sell them. And it's limitless. Hindus are never going to change their tradition. But it provides the joy. It's something necessary. But what does this give the community? Self-esteem, dignity, independence. They don't need anyone. And you've got dozens of these stories. And I just want to impress our listeners about this. And it's not about taking a problem and then working remotely. You actually do get them to speak to the elders. They're on video calls. They're live streaming. They set them up and they look inside the villages. They speak to the different parts of the community and they get a real sense as to their troubles, their issues, but also their needs. The students go away. They start to come up with ideas. And I think that's something that we just got to shine a light on because these young brains that are doing it aren't tied by any other agenda apart from there's an abundance of ideas. The sky's the limit. I'm listening. I see where the need or the problem is. What ideas could we do, right? And nine out of the 10 may be really non-starters, but they generate ideas and they feel like they can provide this. And I think it's just, it's really kind of opened my eyes and I'm getting that being put into where my kids are at school and I'm getting them to sign up to what you guys are doing because I think it's, it's just phenomenal. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. But let's just talk about the young people of today. You know, I think sometimes they get a bad rap. The middle-aged generation, the parents, we kind of disdain at the use of technology and they're always on there and social media and vanity. But I think this generation... I really care about the climate. They really care about making a difference. They're inheriting a problem we created. Let's talk about these young people and you know how do they adapt to these challenges? Do they feel like it's a chore and a burden as part of school? Or do they really take to it because they feel they can make a difference? I must admit, globally, I have found students to be so excited about actually being included in action, not just talking, not just, you know, have, you know, we want to hear your voice. What's your opinion? Yes, that's great. But I feel what they love is to actually know they can do something and change the world at age 11. I go down as young as five now, but literally they feel that they are so included because of their intelligence, innovation, perspective, and we need it. Because as you say, as we get older, we just start to be more of the gloomy side of life and have all our filters. I have such a joy working with these young people. And I tell you what, what I love is I never come up with any of the solutions. They do. And I think as well, why I love working with the private sector, we always have business leaders attached to each student team as their advisors. So they help them with the sustainability piece. They help them with how they present to the judges and et cetera. 
But actually, they are so impressed with these young people. The number of students that have been employed by my business people because they go, wow, their approach to life is so fresh, positive. It's so hopeful. And that is another thing with Race for Good, because you can look at our world and especially, you know, I'm entering going to speak at COP28. And when you look at it, you know, we're going to have COP29, COP30, COP45. You know, you could think, you know, what change are we ever doing? I don't get that from students. And actually, I hope that also comes from me because I know that there is always a solution. I know there are all of these possibilities and we are the most resilient, adaptable, opportunity-driven race. And all we need to do is approach everything like that. And do you think this is something that could and should be put in more mainstream curriculum? It should just be standard. We should all be doing something for the community, whether it's, you know, local, national and global, because they're all connected. You know, you're not going after business brains, right? You're not going to corporates to give you money to do another charitable thing. We're going down to really basis and going, we have real energy here when it comes down to the youth. They have an abundance and freedom with the way they think. And we're going, let's just tap into something here. It's good for them because they get to expand and explore and grow. It's brilliant for the world because they're helping to create ideas. Do you think that's something that can go in mainstream education or is it just too big a task? It's not difficult at all. What I've loved to see is that many schools that I work with around the world are just literally slipping it into their curriculum. They're literally saying, Linda, can we have two races this year, three races, four races? Because it's so exciting for the whole school. This is the thing, because they are making a difference. They're learning so much. So it's absolute pure education. And it's making a difference to our world. And it's the young people knowing that everything is possible. And it is infectious. This is an infectious, positive program, which then absolutely, and it's simple, and they adapt it to a local issue. And as I say, I mean, most age group I work with is between 11 and university. I've got five-year-olds doing it about to go to Mongolia. And I'm already signed up to do the five-year-olds upwards. It is incredibly exciting. And I really feel that, you know, I get students say to me, you know, you know, the program, it's only two hours a week, please, over the six weeks. It's not onerous. You know, please know that, you know, you've got your school life, you've got your private life, you've got all your sporting activities, two hours a week for humanitarian issues. Amazing. I know that at the weekend, they're texting each other and researching and It's a positive, common purpose and focus. Yeah, the joy that they get. And when they finish a race, it's like, Linda, when does the next one start? It's that positive push, pull to really be part of our beautiful world. How do you determine which races for good you're going to embark on? Because there are lots and, you know, it's part of the process and the growth of your organization to encourage people to submit ideas in which you can then look at and go, actually, well, why don't we? Why can't we run those ones over here, run those ones here? I mean, what is the process for determining a race for good? It's very much student-led. It's very much young people-led. What is relevant for them? What is important for them to really get their teeth into? And this is why last year I ran the first Arctic race for good. 
this year is going to be the polar race for good, which is very exciting for me. I can't wait. For the first time ever, we're linking the school in the far north in the Arctic, the north of Greenland, to the only school in Antarctica. There's only one school. And we're going to have a dialogue between these two schools. We're also going to involve the third pole, which I hope everyone is Googling quickly. But that's across the Himalayas. And we're going to be looking at how you live when you're living in a poorer situation, where also your life is being heavily impacted by climate change as the melt happens there with the landslides and the monsoons and the flooding. But it's very much student-led and relevant because this is the important thing. You've got to keep what is important to the students. And yeah, I've worked in projects all over the world and very much led by what is needed. Schools that want to get involved in any of these races, where do they go? How do they find you? How do they find Race for Good? Yeah, the lindacruz.com is the website and it's very easy to sign up for Race for Good there. I do a little bit of social media. I am on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, and that's where I put all the great pictures and the videos. That's always been slightly my weak point, but I'll get there. You will get there. You have such great content and a story to tell. And we just got to make sure we signpost as many people to it. And we'll obviously do our best to amplify it. I want to look towards the future. What do you think are the most important skills we need to foster in our young people for their future and for this planet's future? Everything is possible. It's all up to us. And actually, what I do say to students always is you've just got to find, keep reflecting on what is the gift you are bringing to the world, right? What is your gift? What do you love to do? What are you doing when time flies by? Focus on that and bring that part of you along with an amazing other group of young people to actually then shine a light on an issue that really touches your heart and soul. And it can be anything. It could be schools, education. It could be animals. It could be the environment. It could be a local community of old people. It doesn't matter. But you have the ability within you to bring joy, positivity, and hope. And that's how you will bring the best world to you. Be you. That's my message. Be you. Don't be so influenced by other people. I always do an exercise with students, and it's all about who are your heroes? Because I promise you, the people that we admire in all of their lives and all of their stories, there's part of us coming out. And that is the greatest gift you can give to the world yourself. I always say, we're all born original. Don't lead your lives as a copy, um, which kind of resonates with that. It's easy to follow the crowd, to be dictated to what we think corporate society and the past has driven us and dictated us to do. But we must actually open our eyes, think for ourselves. And a lot of schools are now starting to drive purpose. They're going to start to think about purpose. Like, what is purpose? And purpose isn't a job. It might be a job, might be a vocation, but it's purpose. How do I feel like I'm contributing to society, to myself, to people? So I'm with you and we're doing everything we can as well to sort of support purpose, skills, opening eyes and not being driven by the treadmill of education that has always been here. I want you to look into your crystal ball now. If you were to predict what the future of education would look like in 2050, would it be significantly different than it is now or would it be the same? 
I love there was a quote from Elon Musk, and I'm sure you've seen it, but it's it's he said something like it's easier to put a man on Mars than change the education system. Now, that I understand why he said it. I don't agree with it. Now, what I feel is that students will actually be allowed to have that greater creative space within schools, and it will be much more of a collaborative curriculum. And, you know, education is the most important thing that we wish to bring to every child on our planet. Doesn't happen at the moment, but it will. I know students are such positive, hopeful people. It will be directed by them because their strength and their voice and their actions will just become stronger and stronger. It is student power, but it's also opportunities, as you say, for every student on the planet. That's the moral obligation of educators is to ensure that education is available to all people on the planet, not just to the privileged few who can afford a private education or to those who just happen to be in a westernized country that has access to education, whatever level. That's my hope as well, is that we can certainly get it out there. Thanks ever so much for finding the time. I've thoroughly enjoyed A, getting to know you, getting to know Race for Good. And I'm looking forward to following your stories over the coming years on the next races that you're going to run. Well, thank you. And can I just do a shout out for the next race, which starts on October the 22nd. And it is going to be the Polar Race for Good which will conclude live in Dubai at COP28. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.